there's this huge land potential and these huge areas of land that could be transformed and could be accessed by a more diversity of people and that could be the greatest solutions to all this converging crisis we're in but then there's you know this other path that kind of trajectory of like so much land being brought up by corporations and people for offsets it still comes from the same paradigm it's quite like it's top down it's technology orientated it's not about like a small scale regenerative agriculture with communities or in collaboration or tuning into the land more or with earth care values it's extractive it's not including people on the land it's kind of envisaging this future where people aren't really working on the land much you know it's sort of scary going to this kind of like you know robotic technology that's like a very real and possible and some would say likely future we're heading towards if we don't give more energy and momentum and funding and resources to this other trajectory and path that we could be on which is kind of giving more land access to a diversity of people and developing actual models that don't recreate the problems. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. The concept of the Spaceship Earth is simple. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. Like a spaceship, we have a finite amount of supplies with an intelligent operating system, which keeps everything we need replenished as long as we all respect it and use wisely. So an understanding of how this system works, along with deep cooperation between humans and all life, is essential to keep us thriving and the spaceship flying. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with humans involved in regenerating life, shifting consciousness and reimagining how we can live more beautifully and peacefully. I talk with artists, activists, writers, designers, adventurers, healers, entrepreneurs, creative mavericks, and more. Their stories invite us to participate in the co-creation of a more beautiful, life-sustaining world in service to life, becoming crew on Spaceship Earth. Greetings, Earthling. This is Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Much appreciated. Uh, hope this finds you in some form of okayness in these unraveling times. Uh, I've been off grid for a couple of weeks, which has been very restorative for me. Uh, the first week, I kept falling asleep, sort of mornings, afternoons, just spontaneous napping, which I clearly needed and loved. More of that, please. Anyway, uh, back with another episode. Now, this episode was recorded in early spring this year here in the shed, and it's a conversation with Hamish Evans. Now, Hamish is a food grower, market gardener, permaculturist, community and climate activist. He's a co-founder of Middle Ground Growers and Western Spring Ecological Farm uh, here in Bath and he's a resident and citizen of Bath which has been my hometown of the last decade or so. Um, I first met Hamish on the streets protesting around with Extinction Rebellion and the school climate strikes. He is uh, I believe another extraordinary human in in his 20s who is bringing inspirational vision energy um healing and 
community really to the lands of Bath. Uh, in this long conversation, we explored many, many threads, um, including how to shift our grief and despair for the climate and ecological crisis and social justice and direct our own energies towards creating projects with the potential to heal, to bring people together and co-create the new life-sustaining systems we need. We explore new forms of activism, our relationships to the land around us, uh, repairing our divided cultures and communities through food cultivation, exploring shifts in diets and the food we eat, how to open up land access to young, marginalised and new types of growers, new forms of small-scale farming, permaculture and collective design processes, uh, radical cooperation and new forms of food systems that are grounded in places as bioregions and shaping new types of local economies. And we dig into the question, what will it take for a city such as Bath to be able to feed itself when it comes to food security and food poverty challenges? And as we witness right now in real time, the effects of climate breakdown here in the UK with water shortages, soil degradation and crop failures now finally being talked about in mainstream media. The question of how will we feed ourselves becomes perhaps the most powerful call to action for more of us to step into service in these times. And the possibilities here for reimagining and redesigning our relationships with food, with the living world, with the landscapes around us, and with how we relate to each other is quite profound and actually very exciting. So let's cut to it. This is episode 61 of the Spaceship Earth podcast with Hamish Evans from Middle Ground Growers. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with my dad, Dan Burgess. Hamish, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what emerges. I have a yeah. planned thing, just came out from the field harvesting salads. So. I know, you're, like, you're, you're probably... <laughs> Put into you, your you studio. Are, you, 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 you know, if I was going to sort of describe a farmer <laughs> uh, lots of idea look at i've got a, i've got a bag of uh bag of salad leaves i've got a uh, a um a bottle of apple juice yeah all from the straight la- from all, the orchard all, yeah all straight from the orchard yeah yeah thank you very much <laughs> um well look, I'm, I'm it's brilliant that you it's brilliant we've made this happen we've been sort of We've been sort of trying to do this, haven't we? Probably for a couple of years, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, it seems like we've crossed paths a lot of ways in our busy lives, and then yeah. finally good to like sit down and yeah, exactly. <laughs> do it. Yeah. Welcome to the bird hide, uh, yeah. as uh, as as Nadim, uh, uh, previous guest, has described the hangout. Yeah, it's um, awesome. Yeah. So listen, we're going to. Um, oh, there's 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 so much I want to talk about. It's kind of like um, I'm fe- I'm feeling it's funny this morning as I was I was preparing a little bit for this and i was thinking about i woke up to this ipcc latest report which obviously was not the best thing to wake up to um and then it's not that i didn't know anything in it that i didn't know already but i think it was more the fact that 
Um, you know, I think he sort of talks about things like, you know, there's, I mean, it speaks to the fact that we, um, you know, we, uh, uh, I can't even remember what it was said now, but it's, it talked about, a, 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 you know, a future that, that won't be able to sustain life, you know, all these kind all these things. And you've, you get onto Twitter and you see that, only two newspapers, I think, in the UK have actually covered it on the front page. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, bonkers. And I and I get sucked into that kind of like, you know, um, why is it? You know, I mean, we, we looked, at, we just looked at that tweet, didn't we, from uh, from Antonio Guterres, you know, head of the UN, saying, you know, some government business leaders are saying one thing but doing another. Um, it's a lit. This report is a litany of broken climate promises. They are lying. Um, you know, that's pretty hardcore, mm. and yet. You know the the media in this country say two papers covered it. Um, it's possibly the most disturbing thing that the sort of human species is sort of facing into. And so I wake up to that, and then I'm like, oh, no, no. and I was thinking about our conversation. I was thinking about how we connected, which would have been a few years back on on the streets, right? Mm-hmm. It was through XR and and through the youth climate strikes. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was just sort of taken to taken back to that sort of. That, that form of protest, that sort of, sort of form of sort mm. of exasperation with, uh, with these times. Mm. Um, and then obviously you've been journeying since then into something which I think, you know, for you makes complete sense why, why you're going. But for some, they'll, you know, you know as, a, as a farmer now, as a, as a, as a food grower um, in this place, so I'd love to, if we could just start a little bit with, maybe we could go back to the activist, mm. to, to that form of activism on the streets, mm. the protest. Um, and you could just share a little bit of, of what that journey's been about to now. Mm. And, and what, you know, because I think we are increasing in a time where, you know, if you haven't quite grasped the scale of the problem in our society, I think more people are starting to understand and what I find, even this word activism can be still so polarizing in terms of what it might mean. But I'd love, so I'd love to understand a little bit about, you know, maybe the listeners could, you could share a little bit about, yeah, what, what, what's been going on since those, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> since those heady days of, I can't think, what have you been in? 20, 2019, was it like? Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah, yeah a few years, yeah. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, um, I'll sort of drag it back like one step before, because that kind of, precludes the uh, uh, sort of different forms of activism like you said um so i moved onto a boat when i was 16 um and sort of started like exploring just you know sustainable living you've always and, been bath uh, right this is your home yeah, this is your home town yeah actually grew up just down the road from here yeah we're Sweet. close neighbors so it's nice to <laughs> come to your studio here yeah <laughs> so um yeah so I sort of grew up uh, we moved to the boats sort of partly for economic reasons but partly to kind of explore this like more sustainable living living in community things like that so like really like lucky to experience that living in my own home from that age and then I think that was kind of the start of my activism in many ways because that was the kind of the falling in love with nature as well and like the oh wow just like waking up on the canal to this you know beautiful thing like sort of also battling with the elements and like you know living with the challenges of nature too and things like that so it kind of like a lot of it kind of brewed from that and then I think um and then the kind of maybe a familiar feeling to a lot of people the kind of disillusionment came and the kind of like the hard hitting like the ecological grief and like the oh like this is what we could lose as well and like all of that so then I kind of long story short then came into the kind of ecological activism and the more like oppositional kind of channeling the kind of despair and channeling the um anger but also channeling hope and things like that because otherwise you wouldn't engage with it (laughs) so that's how I sort of came into that and then came into like 
Extinction Rebellion, quite active in the youth climate strikes, um, and you know, yeah, sort of arrested for nonviolent direct action multiple times, sort of really out there on the streets, very you know, most way through uni and everything like that. So yeah, sort of came into it through that, and that was a very you know intense period of kind of. I think now in hindsight, kind of looking at it like not being anchored at all, um, and that's all right um, at, at times, but not sustainable. <laughs> so not being anchored, but being like deeply in this work of like quite oppositional activism mm-hmm. um, and quite like, you know, we just read out that UN report as well. And that was kind of like, for me, that highlights of this thing of like, oh, we can't wait for government to act now. We can't wait for economic systems to just like shift or through market forces or anything like that. We've got to kind of like now take it into like a new form of activism and like kind of you know take it both to our place and to our locality into the land but also take it to like ourselves and like oh the people that are around us and things like that so we i think what we were chatting before like oh we've got to have that systemic awareness and that like political things like that but we've got to bring that also and connect it to the local the grassroots so through that i've kind of gone through a shift and i got interested in you know permaculture and kind of uh, revived a bit of hope in as well and a bit of like positive action uh, I travelled around lots of eco villages in like Palestine, Asia, uh, everywhere. Just like travelled on no money, backpacking, sleeping rough for nearly two years. <laughs> so sort of experienced all of that and kind of yeah through that kind of explored alternatives and explored like the creating the new systems as well. So it's this kind of idea of like prefigurative activism, like prefiguring the future in the today, kind of in the shell of the old system, and kind of creating these new seeds, even though we're still holding that tension and holding that opposition so I think so now where I'm at is kind of bridging those two things hopefully and kind of merging that kind of the oppositional and the kind of Extinction Rebellion all of that energy and all of that climate momentum which is so much needed all the direct action it's obviously needed because it's an emergency and like <laughs> you know there's going to be no life in you know my lifetime and no diversity of life when I'm older if that's if it's not taken as an emergency like our house is on fire but I need to also like at the moment it feels like a ripe time to kind of bridge that with like the practical grounded action because also if it's an emergency we need to get going on those solutions right now at quite a transformative level so as not to repeat the problems and mistakes as well so it feels like bridging those two so for me the kind of medium for that bridge has been around like land activism around like bioregionalism which we might get into in a bit um around like permaculture uh starting market gardens um which we also get into like middle ground growers, which is a kind of, um, we're developing like kind of a regenerative farming model for this community as well. So that's how I've kind of bridged the multiple forms of activism. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot in that. And just, just a couple of things that are coming up for me. So one is that, um, you know, when you're speaking to, I remember, so there's a, you know, Jana Macy always says that these different, mm. different holding actions required in, you know, in what she calls that, that great turning, you know, to, mm. towards a life sustaining civilization and there's that there's the sort of um you know there's the halting the destruction of of our natural ecosystems right which is the business as usual thing which Mm. is very much the sort of the early days of um xr and Mm. you know climate strikes well more so xr but you know that idea of we have to halt we have to slow down and the destruction of the living world you know (laughs) still this bizarre kind of logic in our western culture that somehow mm. we're, we're separate from it you know it's like <laughs> so there's that holding action but like you said and then there's this kind of then there's this what i think she would call like the you know these kind of imagining and 
um, designing and bringing into the world these kind of life-sustaining systems, right? Which are uh, which are building on these kind of extractive mm. industrial systems, which is obviously where you're shifting, where you've been shifting into mm. very much actually bringing these things into play. Can you remember? Because I was just really curious about that. It was funny. I watched on Friday actually on Netflix the Rebellion documentary. Mm. It's just come out, um, and it was just you know playing back sort of 2018 2019 the mm. big rebellions do you remember and mm. the sort of extraordinary energy and actually the extraordinary things that happened in terms of public awareness mm. and declaration of a climate emergency and then yet obviously how quickly we've now seen you know police and protest bill and mm. this flip from this government of of sort of playing the getting behind the public opinion but now obviously shifting away can you remember that shift for you then because i because i remember um, I remember at one point sort of feeling this, you know, you sort of felt like things could really change at, well, mm. at some point. And then there was this complete, I think 2020 and then into the pandemic, it just felt like the moment had gone almost. Mm. Can you remember like your own kind of shift from that? Cause, cause I remember seeing you up on the streets in London, mm. uh, I think just before you got arrested, <laughs> but that, that's a very different you know, form of energy that you're putting out into the world. And it takes a huge amount of courage to do that. What was the what was the shift for you where you thought actually I've got to get I've got to get my hands into something? Mm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I don't think there was one. Maybe it's similar for other people. I don't think there's one moment that sort of it's kind of a building momentum of like this feeling in the back of my mind, and then a few things like burnout contributed to it as well. So like you know burnout from the activism and realizing that the fuel used for that oppositional activism was not like sustainable regenerative fuel <laughs> so kind of um through like yeah personally through that of just like you know actually when i start looking after my own needs and then thinking oh and if i want to sustain change work and action you know through my whole life and you know live live hope in a way then i need to like find a more sustainable fuel um i think you mentioned Jana macy i think um in terms of what she's done to kind of transform that fuel from short-term fossil fuel to kind of long-term tree fuel yeah. <laughs> in a way it's kind of um reflected in this shift in our own activisms as well so i think that's been that was really powerful for me i did a lot of the work that reconnects which takes this it's a process from joanna macy's active hope work and it takes you from like from those kind of raw feelings of like whether it's grief or it might be immense love and gratitude as well or could be anything like ecological despair and I've definitely like been to the kind of dark depths of those things and kind of taking that through a process and through a collective healing process as well um and it can be in a you know, through a day or through weeks or you know it could be ongoing for a lifetime or through generations it might even span beyond our lifetime but it took me through that and it took me transforming those feelings and emotions as kind of like transforming them into drivers for action um <clears throat> but in a very different way I think when I went through those processes again, maybe just like two years ago, um, it was very like powerful and transformative in my own shifted thinking because it um, it made me want to like sustain that work and channel it into something more long term. And then at the same time, I was writing my dissertation, which is now published on prefigurative activism. So it was kind of just exploring this question. I try and depict yeah, that yeah, word a little yeah, bit because it's just tell a, us about that. <laughs> tell us about what that means. So prefiguration is kind of this concept of like creating the new in the shell of the old creating alternatives um so you could apply it to kind of like permaculture movement creating alternative economic systems or food systems 
uh, social systems or could be applied to kind of activism so in many ways some of extinction rebellions activism was prefigurative and like i know gail bradford was very like keen on emphasizing that it's got to be prefigurative for it to be effective and transformative so it's got to like kind of embody the changes we want to see in the world at the same time which is so difficult as opposing this you know massive uh, <laughs> this massive wall of industrial capitalism and things like that yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm I'm feeling exhausted just thinking about that. That what that what you just envisioned because it is this holding mm. these different realities almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I think kind of going through the process of that research and that kind of work, and kind of it sort of made me realise that they've got to like come together the kind of oppositional and the you know constructive and co-creative work um, because it sort of looked at these all these case studies of change work in history and transformative actions and. Uh, movements and things like that and so many sort of whether they it wasn't really looking at their failures and focusing on failures but it was noticing when they didn't lead to the transformation changes envisaged um, and when they kind of just led to like either individual burnout or the movement fading away quite shortly um, so it's kind of looking at all of that and then looking at social change from a much broader perspective and seeing when the kind of longer term systemic transformations actually occurred and I think a lot of that came through like prefigurative work as well and then it's got to be then put into the context of climate crisis and emergency and things like that and actually making it transformative in in those terms as well so I think there's those combination of those things and then a sort of third factor was kind of getting excited about the land movement and getting excited about like permaculture and like oh we can find all these solutions right at our feet literally this like soil here and then learning you know intellectually that just the greatest solution actually yeah there's a whole tapestry of solutions obviously but one of the greatest leverage points is like land-based transformation like we can sequester so much carbon through regenerative practices and it shouldn't be simplified to that but there's a whole you know there's a whole range of land practices that could mean like much more biodiversity and actually kind of regenerating so that those sort of things combined with a permacultural mindset of kind of more abundance rather than scarcity um made me sort of led me from this kind of thinking of like oh we need to like minimize our impact as humans and like all this environmental guilt and like just minimizing impact and like oh so then it's like why are we here <laughs> and then it's like and so then it sort of shifted towards this more regenerative mindset over time of like um which i think yeah permaculture is very good at emphasizing is this actually we can be like stewards we can be healers we can be regenerators and that can start like with the land in the now like in our places um, so I think the excitement around that and then also me getting to my own sort of life stage of needing to develop a sustainable livelihood and through that was through market gardening at the time. So that's kind of my inlet to the land work has been, you know, market gardening. We've been doing veg boxes, things like that. Um, so through like stewarding land, but also like restoring the land, but also being able to provide food and create value in our community. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the intersection of like the land, the prefiguration and the kind of yeah disillusionment with some forms of change work led me towards this kind of more <laughs> hopefully more holistic yeah. view of change but and so you were, were you but so we'll get on to middle ground in a sec but like were you um were you had you been training as a grower that you had you've been growing food for some time right or you've been yeah yeah so yeah i mean sort of it's only been running middle ground growers um as a vegetable scheme for sort of three years now but actually before that sort of working on organic farms uh when i mentioned when i was traveling around it was mostly 
you know, staying on organic farms, permaculture farms, a whole range of like. Isn't there a network that sort of? Yeah, it's like there's Woofing, which so you can like. Right. I'd really recommend that if you're like, yeah, going traveling and looking for yeah. <laughs> alternatives and things like that. Like going around and like staying on all these like complete diversity of farms, like community farms and eco villages and spiritual communities and like indigenous communities. And just like, I never knew where I was going to be like staying the next day or the next week or just like go around and like find these places and like work really hard and just like give to those places and like learn loads about growing in different contexts and more like kind of learn about those land philosophies and that kind of ancient practices. Um, that was really, especially in traveling in like South Asia and kind of not so well known, not like touristy places, like finding out these kind of niches and like merging that when I came back to the UK with like this kind of growing more modern movement of market gardening which is all about like kind of you know producing food in quite close proximity to the people that live there in the communities on quite a small acreage like small scale ecological growing often using like no-till methods so it's kind of integrating that and working on these farms in the UK bridging it with the kind of you know these sort of indigenous learnings and things like that and then it's kind of coming towards this like restoration agriculture idea and that just like really took hold of me like it's been an obsession since like I remember like first reading about it and I've like now read all of these like you know all the farming books since like years ago and like then kind of gradually over time that kind of led to a vision for this kind of like building that model farm like a restoration agriculture farm that is both ecologically productive but also like economically viable meaning providing good regenerative livelihoods also growing food for community creating value in our you know local region and restoring land so kind of merging both like the old and the new in many ways because it is a new way of agriculture but it's actually it's really ancient an ancient well. you know yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. ancient agroecology yeah. but it's kind of new to this context yeah well i think this is it's, it, you know this 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 idea this com- this comes up a lot um in the conversations i have on everything is this you know w- when we look to the future it's this idea of you know blending new and ancient right mm. it's like yeah weaving together we have to <laughs> weave them together it's not a binary thing here <laughs> gotta move beyond that you know there's but mm. Because I think there's always a thing like, you hear on the regenerative farming, regenerative agriculture, I guess when you go back and you understand how different indigenous cultures have always cultivated food, mm. um, you you would probably class it now as regenerative, right? Yeah, <laughs> sort absolutely, of a, yeah. It's probably just been the, it's like the only way to sort of exist with, mm. with the living world. Um, you know, you talk about that restoration. So there's almost like a sort of like a, a, a sense of healing through these processes, mm. right? Because it's not just... Yeah, totally. Yeah, because yeah, you 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 like you say you was, when you were speaking there, you were speaking of places, people, you know, biodiversity, the more than human world, mm. land. There's a there's a lot that you're sort mm. of actually weaving, isn't there? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good. It's a good way to see it as the kind of the restoration is is primarily starting with the land. I think which is important at this time is kind of you know we're here as like stewards and earth beings and like restoring this land, but the restoration has so many ripple effects of like whether it's restoration of like our communities and like revival of local economies or whether it's restoration of like meaningful work or whether it's like restoration of our souls and like restoration of like oh this is what it means to like live in more in reciprocity and like to speak to people where <laughs> yeah, i live speak, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> to have a relationship yeah, yeah. with people and yeah to work it outside and have, on yeah. the land yeah <laughs> it's it's um it's incredible i mean there's a there's a lot here to sort of to think about it was just actually one of the things you're thinking about i was just thinking about was the um which i think again as a, as a sort of modern population we 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 don't really understand but like just the clearing of 
the clearing of land and the sort of ploughing of soils and, you know, that has caused vast amounts of the sort of carbon emissions that exist mm. in the atmosphere right now have come from this industrial way of mm. uh, farming, right? So, again, when we talk about kind of, when it talks about rainforests and trees, and of course, that's mm. all massively important, but the soil, mm. right, is yeah. enormous, right? This, the, 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 the role of the soil in our, for life, right? I mean, that's, yeah. how, that's what I think blows my mind. Which yeah. Was, See, modern sort of Western culture seems to sort of, we, we look up all the time. So you mm. think that sort of up, mm. <laughs> upwards is where the sort of magic and genius lies. Mm. But in fact, it's all on the ground, right? It's all yeah, beneath the yeah. soil. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it sort of, it, it reflects a lot of norms in our culture. You know, we look up just as we like focus on the outward and the masculine and the action, like, you know, father sky rather than down and mother earth and inwards. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's all, it's all completely interwoven, like the way we, the way we treat earth is like so reflective of the way we treat each other and the way we treat ourselves and things like that. So like the self-care, people care, earth care, which is the kind of the permaculture ethics is really all totally interwoven there. And, um, but also there's an emphasis within this work of like, then taking that from the kind of abstract into like the practical action and into like, even if we don't necessarily do it perfectly as well, like getting this into steps, like we're, we're relearning so many things and like we're relearning those ancient techniques and like yeah. we're listening to the land, we're listening to the people that have farmed here before and we're kind of, yeah, we're looking, we're sort of going back and going forward, but we're kind of re relearning so much. It's, it's um, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll dig into middle ground set and, but there's just, as you're speaking again, it's making me think of, uh, well, it's actually the mythologist, Michael Mead. He, mm. he talks a lot about, um, you know, when, 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 the sort of human civilizations, you know, when a, when a civilization is coming apart, when it's crumbling, mm. when a story is finishing, which is what I believe is happening now. I think we're sort of mm. coming to the end of a sort of 500 year old story mm. of colonialism and mm. extraction and unfettered capitalism and all of mm. this stuff. And, and it feels like that story is, is you know, it's, uh, there are obviously powers and people that still want to hold that story, mm. but it feels like it's almost becoming impossible to ignore but he talks about this need for deep remembering mm. like uh, to sort of activate our kind of deep memories of what it is to be human mm. in times of crisis often we don't create the space for that so there's mm. two things being required there's this memory this remembering where we're from how life works mm. this sort of ancient way of mm. being and then of course there's this need for imagination to, mm. sort of, to imagine these new these new but but he as you were talking about that that idea of like when you're practicing and you're sort of learning and remembering and mm. discovering old ways and new mm. ways and something about this space that seems like at these times mm. are really calling for that mm. but it's quite hard to find it in our yeah, yeah. fast culture do you know what I mean yeah absolutely yeah space for yeah. silence and space for yeah. not knowing and space yeah for kind totally of, yeah. yeah yeah I like I like the way you put that that both that remembering that like old it's almost like an old familiar feeling of like going I feel that sometimes on the land like working out there like oh it does feel like a bit like connecting to ancestry and like, actually on our land we've got a old long barrow which is incredible <laughs> and it's a, it feels like on that spot it's like oh wow this is like really connecting to this the roots of uh of old culture here and yeah. stuff like that but it is also that imagining and i think it's difficult to, sometimes i find it so limited and difficult to talk about it sometimes in our like in our language and in what? our like in our western worldviews and stuff because i think in this is another thing that came out of my published work was like um it's kind of they're not separate either like it's sort of the remembering and the imaginal are kind of actually woven together so like with uh with some sort of interviews with indigenous activists they kind of like looked at this prefiguration concept which is about bringing the future into the now 
Um, and it does weave together those time strands in a bit because it's kind of bringing that vision and where, where we're going and the more beautiful worlds we know is possible into like what we're living and breathing and doing now in the best way we can with our own capacities mm. and stuff. But it's kind of bridging that future and the now. But then actually when I sort of interviewing this indigenous activist, um, I was really like challenged in a very healthy way to kind of like consider both actually bringing in the remembering side of that and actually that that the kind of our ancestry was prefiguring us just in the way that we're prefiguring the next you know seven mm. generations and things like that yeah. so it's actually all completely interwoven in a much more like cyclical way and it's kind of it's so difficult to kind of separate those time scales and bring them about so actually we we, we can almost like remember the future as well yeah we can remember that place that we in our hearts know is like what we're visioning what yeah. we're creating and that gives us actually going back to this sustainable fuel that gives us a really like beautiful long-lasting resource to kind of motivate and fuel that action mm. um i think it's very difficult to like put our finger on what motivates us in this world like you said with all this dark clouds around us and in this kind of like crisis context but mm. i think a lot of it for me is a bit of that it's a bit of like remembering the imaginal in some ways yeah and then <laughs> and then i guess you know because you're on the land because you're tuning into the cycles of the earth because mm. you're you know you have a felt embodied knowledge of what's mm. going on and i think I talk about this a lot in this podcast. I think it's really important because I think, again, we're stuck in an intellectual crisis mm -hmm. in our systemic world. You know, we see our culture, our media, our corporations. It's, mm. it's heavy intellectually driven. Mm. And I, I'm reminded, and I keep talking about this Pat McCabe uh, piece where she said, she said something, I think it was, um, you know, the intellect is the least reliable way of knowing anything. Mm. And, and it's a useful thing, intellect, mm. but when it dominates, and it dominates how we um, imagine, how we think about life, how we think about designing things. Mm. Personally, I think that's the bit, that's also the enormous challenge we're in because I, I feel like we, in order to make these kind of shifts, we have to feel our way into them, mm. right? And so we can debate these things in corporations and governments and all kinds of stuff. But if you're only just intellectually jousting with each other mm. all the time, which is what, it's what, <laughs> what happens in our power system, and you're not out and you're not really... Like you say, you know, you're, you're feeling, you know, this entanglement of past and mm. future. And it comes through being in relationship with all mm. that is alive. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like, mm. it, it's sort of, I was thinking like, how do we get everyone out on the land or into the woods or into the waves? You know, then that will mm. help sort of mm. open this process up. But um, anyway, just it's, it's fascinating that, you know, it does, does feel to me that this, you know, this, this more beautiful world it has you know there has to be a, 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 a you have to be able to experience and mm. feel your way into it yeah yeah um not just sort of intellectualize it do you know what i mean yeah definitely yeah um, yeah i think that's spot on with like that pat mccabe thing of like not letting the kind of the mind and the intellect dominate us getting into the solutions it's just through that lens because yeah. otherwise we kind of we can repeat past patterns you know people you know when people were like plowing up the land for industrial agriculture and stuff that was through a very you know, rational intellectual decision of like there were famines and there were things like this and there was like yeah. land where they weren't aware of the consequences and we never will, you know, and we aren't aware of the consequences of like whatever we're doing now. We don't even know if we're aware of fully of like the consequences of some of the most pioneering regenerative agriculture. Like, mm. <laughs> so we've got to like feel into it as well. And we've got to like feel like that's where intuition comes in. Mm. And so it's kind of this weaving together of like head, heart and hands. Yeah. And because our culture is so focused on the head, and also quite focused on the hands and the outer, but not really in like a 
a craft and livelihood sense but in like you know like doing and <laughs> exploiting yeah. and things like that it's a different it's a different sort of yeah. hands like we need to like redefine yeah. what you know the hands and the you know physical livelihood and things like that are but it's kind of it's that like, those things kind of point towards oh we need to rebalance that with the heart you know it's like um it's sort of the weaving together with all those like the the balance so it's like you know farming is primarily it's you know with the hands and it's action and it's outer and things like that but actually it's probably a lot of the work we do is the heart work really and that's yeah. and that's what's led us into it as yeah. well so it's and that's what sustains us and motivates us for it <laughs> yeah well we we, we could I'd, I'd love to explore some of that and i think maybe um maybe what would be cool is um because there's you know you're, you're just, you've been speaking to the permaculture approach and then obviously there's middle ground mm. which was your first market garden mm. and you've got another another <laughs> farm that's on the go which we'll get to but I wonder whether you could maybe talk through a little bit about the the birth of middle ground, but mm. also like how that permaculture maybe help help our listeners make sense of the permaculture approach through mm. it. Would that yeah. would that be possible? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My favourite topics. So. <laughs> Thanks for asking. That's, like, that's the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> how long talk about got? stuff that you're really into? How long have we got? <laughs> yeah. As long as you want, mate. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're well, yeah, so middle ground growers. Um, so it's now like an, a you know fairly established, still in its young years, but like established community interest company. Uh, we're doing veg boxes. We're growing on a total of eighteen acres, kind of agroecology. So we've got you know trees and perennial crops integrated into like veg growing and no-till systems and fertility cycles, things like that. So those are all kind of permaculture things we can sort of get to. And just for those, no-till means no digging, right? No digging. Yes, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so it's practices of soil cultivation and growing that don't, you know, you know, minimise soil disruption. They minimise disrupting those fungal mycelium networks and all the communications and city of life going on, basically. Um, Where all the intelligence is, really. That is, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to break up all that so intelligence. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. So, yeah, so middle ground growers started, so going back to when I was in that kind of transitory period from <clears throat> kind of my focus being on the oppositional activism then shifting towards the land thing there was kind of like a year overlap of where i was doing i was doing the market gardening i was doing studying and writing which was the head <laughs> and i was doing the kind of activism and the kind of political on the streets thing that was probably the, the most intense year of my life <laughs> but was great, that, was that great as well. i think it was around the yeah 2019 i think yeah so now we're in 2022 so yeah that was that was kind of when middle ground growers was starting that was when i was very much like full of excitement and a bit more hope for these like ecological solutions on the land and like permacultural solutions um, and I'd sort of you know done permaculture courses and I'd like even begun facilitating some small workshops just because I was so excited about it <laughs> and now sort of doing that a bit more in a more structured way but um, so it kind of emerged then like really in 2019 so after I was working on organic farms um, and market gardens and after the travel experiences came back uh, had an opportunity to like lease a small acreage like one and a half lake acres and it kind of came you know through and with a transition bath project so like the transition towns movement so you know it's very difficult to access land and things like that but there'd sort of been a, a doorway opened through that and so it's kind of it's rooted in those things um, so the opportunity came up to like lease this land very small area so just like started on like a little allotment size patch basically like 
I was like so excited to have like a chance to kind of play with all these permaculture ideas yeah. and I had like wormery starting like wildflower patches like chickens running around the orchard <laughs> and like all these sort of things going on in one little space and like doing it all from like zero startup money or anything like that just like what can I find what can I build out of pallets <laughs> and like you know no input so I was just um I was actually digging then because I was like doing this kind of like double dig biointensive method of like without bringing any inputs still managing to cultivate a very small space so it's what a lot of allotment is use and things like that because a lot of the no dig on market gardens relies on bringing a lot of compost in which mm. i'll get to in a minute but <laughs> so at that time it was just like you know just physical labor doing that all with hand tools growing like lettuces and cabbages and potatoes for the local shop um so yeah in 2019 we were like <clears throat> selling a bit to a local whole food shop and there were a few neighbors that got veg and there's like a few exchanges going on we'd swap it for bread and we'd swap it here for other stuff like that um so it's like you know getting this that sort of sowed a lot of the seeds for like this oh this could like if this was scaled a little bit and like if there were lots of these or like not necessarily scaled but multiplied and pollinated then um actually the kind of the revival of like local economy and like livelihoods and you know social revival and things like that could actually be you know huge and like that's a kind of theory of change in itself yeah <laughs> and yeah. then that ripples out and then you know it pro provides a model and people have already been modeling it which we've borrowed ideas from and then you know it sort of ripples out that way so that's where the sort of seeds came together and then it sort of yeah kicked off it's sort of, i think it was around like lockdown really because other people joined the team so like friends and neighbors from the canal um people with different experiences like you know xavier had an agroecology experience and experience doing also business side of things and crowdfunding community funding things like that and then uh, Livy and Sammy had been working on flower farms and organic farms and like had background in mechanics and welding and things like that and useful and practical yeah. skills as well and then you know loads of loads of other people with different skills kind of just revolved around this idea because it felt like you know especially that early days of those lockdown when it suddenly felt like oh we've got to like provide food here like supermarket shelves are low we've got there's this yeah. high energy about yeah. like oh we've just got to like take those solutions into our hands and i think that's like an appropriate response to, to me for like a health pandemic is like focus on our health and like grow food here yeah. <laughs> and maybe we can have like you know a similar response to kind of like you know climate crisis is just to take it into this place and this people um so these guys all came together we kind of revolved around these like permacultural values of earth care and people care and like we we tried to apply those principles like on our original <clears throat> our original small market garden had all these signs um, which, you know, had Andrew with like all these art artistic patterns and things of like all the permaculture principles. So there's these 12 principles of like designing from pattern to detail, um, you know, observing and interacting. So we start with listening with the land, but also we're interacting and like learning with nature and like from nature and, and all of that. So there's all these principles that we can take into account to like design, whether it's social systems or businesses or land practices or our own personal lives we can apply those kind of permacultural things to that to kind of create ideally like a regenerative you know whether it's an organization or a livelihood or anything like that a more regenerative systems basically that are working with nature rather than against nature that's kind of the original concept of permaculture so from that we had this you know small market garden we were growing food for local community we got to like you know 30 veg boxes in the early times of the pandemic and then like huge waiting lists but we had this small acreage yeah. <laughs> and you know we we're just doing it with hand tools and things like that and so we did like markets and all sorts of fun things and delivered by bike uh growing you know completely organically and very minimal inputs at all <clears throat> and then we kind of 
developed the infrastructure a bit more you know had more polytunnels had like a solar barn that powered the whole farm so it's like you know a few kilowatts of solar power that powered our huge delivery trike that was made by cycles maximus to like carry 50 veg boxes it's like a beast it's like a lorry but a bike <laughs> and it powered like our tools so we had no machinery or anything we just had like a few electrical assist tools like you know things that are powered by drills and like quite interesting inventions for market gardening and small-scale farming and we just charged them off the sun use them on the farm so that those sort of things enabled our systems to become like a bit more efficient and then kind of meet a bit the economic systems where we're at and be able to develop it into a livelihood more because then we you know when you're dealing with the current economic situation it's like you know you've got to harvest this many carrots to be able to sell them at one pound a kilo yeah. <laughs> in this amount of time and it's kind of like bonkers but we've actually been able to make it work and make it economically viable which is very unusual in like small-scale organic growing but becoming much more viable over time as these no-till methods prove to like they prove to like in- improve productivity and everything over time because you're like regenerating soil health because you're like using minimal input so it's less overheads things like that so it's yeah so that's like a, a key focus for us at the moment is making it really economically viable providing really good livelihoods and kind of upscaling the mission from that small market garden setup to now you know moving forward to like 20 I think it was December 2020, then we, as a team of four, we collectively purchased 15 and a half acres. Um, so that's on the other side of Bath, so like a few miles from our other market garden. So the idea was to kind of run the two sites in tandem, kind of providing this hyper-local food movement and like, and they've actually got, we've got more market gardens starting on the other sides of Bath now. So there's kind of like, there's four, but we'll get to in a bit. <laughs> but um, so it's that kind of hyper-local food movement, but also being able to do it on land that we even though we don't believe in land ownership or anything like that, actually been able to secure that land almost like a land trust would because we bought it collectively through funding, you know, community funding, things like that. And through like all of our life savings, just like we've got to go for this. It was in the middle of lockdown. We were like, this land has come up. It's right on the edge of Bath. It's like really beautiful, fertile land, spring water, um, lovely, like, you know, sandy soil, um, no trees or anything, just monoculture grass, pretty much. So that's like the potential to regenerate was high, <laughs> even though you know it'd been managed well in the past, but it's still like not the kind of agroecological diversity we'd like to bring to it. So that's that's our kind of that's our implementing vision right now. That's what we're doing. We're kind of implementing a permaculture design on a bigger acreage on those fifteen and a half acres, and we're kind of upscaling the model. So we're doing like one hundred and twenty veg boxes this year. We're doing like wholesale to you know half a dozen local outlets um yeah much more like a bit of like uk wholesale things like that beginning so it's it's kind of the models like upscaling and we're also moving towards more perennial crops so like perennial crops are ones that like keep growing each year and you know it's not like annual stuff you just like harvest and then cultivate the soil again and then harvest again and it's more like perennial long term like tell nuts. us about what sort of perennials are you looking at so like nut tree crops is one uh fruit you know berries uh perennial herbs um fruit trees things like that so we're kind of integrating those things more with the design of the land and those things actually also like do things like stabilize the soil suck carbon out of the atmosphere you know more tree crops and more perennial bushes and things like that creates much less soil erosion it stabilizes the ground so we're kind of like looking at kind of like mimicking natural systems like a forest garden yeah yeah so that's where we're kind of up to now in a nutshell is kind of we've been through a whole like permaculture design process for that land so we've been like applying all those principles and ethics to like it was over a year of like observing interacting getting all these surveys done getting all these p 
people to kind of people with knowledge of these things and like understanding of the land and like neighbors and things like that to kind of input onto this whole design process and like it's a social design process as well because we're building an organization that's gonna be resilient to all of that so it's it was now we're kind of it's really exciting time because now we've been you know we launched a crowdfunder we raised a hundred thousand pounds for the startup costs so we've like yeah we've been getting going we've like put all the trees in we've got hundreds of fruit trees thousands of hedgerow trees nut trees berry bushes it's all planted now which is great and they're all all the buds are coming alive it's springtime (laughs) we live on a life-giving rock called earth hurtling through space how bonkers is that you're listening to the spaceship earth podcast Well, because I, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a, you've, done, you've been doing a lot. Because <laughs> I remember, I mean, I remember the, I mean, I remember watching the, you know, middle ground pop up <clears throat> and, um, and then the, the Western Spring crowdfunder, because mm. you got a lot of media interest, didn't you? You were like, suddenly you were like popping up on the BBC and <laughs> yeah. Evening Standard and like, yeah, yeah. what do you think it was that what's spiked so much interest um i think it's like a big mixture of things so it's it's good timing in a way um because we kind of released it you know a bit post pandemic and a lot of people shifting mindsets on things and looking about like local food resilience you know and beyond like you know whether whether they worried about the environment or veganism or organic or anything like that it's actually beyond all of that it's just like local food resilience and like you know also connecting to the people in bath that believe in the tradition of bath and to like the kind of the old local market gardens and like local livelihoods and like local economy, things like that. It's actually, we find those kind of messaging and narrative are very are less polarizing and more inclusive, even to, you know, people that might not have been included in the environmental narrative or like been put off by it, you know? So we've, we found a lot of useful lessons in kind of messaging. That's been like one of the key things for this to work. So we kind of discussed that a lot and like talked to a lot of people and like, you know, and just like looked around that whole messaging side of things. So the messaging was crucial to be like, yeah, we did frame it as like, you know, ecological farm for Bath. So it was very rooted in the environmental context because there's a lot of energy around that. We released it just after COP yeah. when everyone was feeling like, oh, there's no action. Where's the stuff <laughs> on the ground? <laughs> massively deflated. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And then everyone was like, oh, look, there's this local farm down the road from me. And they can, you know, growing food and doing it in an ecological way and like that sort of thing. So I think that appealed to a lot of people um, at that time when there was like a scarcity of you know real sense of action and it was sort of bringing a bit more like real hope and you know you know lived experience of it um and i think so that was quite key it was also like community engagement from the start and sort of uh, doing a lot of groundworks to it as well um like you know months before the crowdfunder like already getting people involved and groups and local people and all sorts of things and i say also kind of um that we'd already created a bit of a model. So we'd already had like, you know, several years of establishing that like viable thing that people yeah, can like feel like they can commit to it. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of like already done the bit of the groundwork. So I think that was part of it. And then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know quite how it sort of took off so much in the media as well. We did like, we did use the opportunity to like shout more about the farm than we ever would normally. And it's like a bit more than would, we would comfortably because it's just like, oh, we want to like make this happen. And we were just like, so it was like this intense period of 10 weeks of like crowdfunding, like, we need a hundred grand to start the farm and that's actually like the bare minimum for all the kind of infrastructure all, mm. all the costs that come with it and all the fruit trees and everything like that so i think it was just come from that drive of like really like we've got to like make this happen and 
then we sort of got some media attention and then it kind of spiraled out from there the message kind of caught hold and we kind of used some previous networks but a lot of it was quite new stuff and just quite you know like a lot of land magazines and yeah. different different sort of niches as well um and unexpected places you know like getting in the telegraph and things like that yeah. and the times and <laughs> Do, that that piece um i think that's interesting you <clears throat> know i've i you know i'm not i'm not from these lands moved here 10 years ago but that you know you were just talking a little bit about that story of bath and place mm. and market guard can you just talk a little bit about like what you know about that because i think that'd be interesting for folks to understand because i think also at this time like we're in this you know if we in in this time of you know where so much change is being called for mm. and these ideas of you know you know we speak to bioregionalism but actually really coming back to places and sort of really kind of you know you talked a little bit about how you you spent that year almost sort of listening and observing but you know when we start to look back at the kind of roots of a place mm. It's such an interesting time to really, I think, for, for for more folks to sort of, yeah, consider that, right? So tell us a bit about that that Bath story. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely a big part of the last few years' journey, really. It's like kind of reconnecting to place, both like, you know, from a very personal sense of like, actually for me, it was like realising I am in this place <laughs> and that I'm like rooted here and like, and also I wanted to be here long term. That was quite a big thing. Not Not that you need that to actually root and connect to a place because there's you know lots of like traveling and pilgrim cultures and you know, i'm part of a traveling boating community and actually we connect more to the water and that's like not a fixed place so much so there's all these things about like you know it's not like this fixed place on one bit of land necessarily or like that's because that can come from the kind of colonial <laughs> thing i've got to be like careful with it but um but i think yeah true like understanding like that you're truly part of the essence of that place or you, and you can become that that was like a more like personal journey through that process and then there was the kind of like you know the mind stuff of like looking into all the history of it and like realizing that like it wasn't long ago like this city and its surrounding bioregion and the valley was like totally self-sufficient in food <laughs> and it's like it, people think it's like an impossibility and it's like it's not really <laughs> it's like it wasn't too long ago we were there and actually um there's so much like potential of this place for like you know growing and things like that and actually we were you know exporting apples and cider and all these other things and um so it's a really like you know vibrant local economy of like food markets and things like that and you know markets every day in the middle of town it was actually by local organic producers things like that so you know we've still got like there's still the essences of that still in bath at the moment almost like holding on and waiting to like resurface and <laughs> re-emerge so we've still got you know f food market we've still got market gardens but it kind of it's weird at the same time they're almost they're kind of like been dying out for decades you know through like all these sometimes uncontrollable forces you know the economic pressures global capitalism um people becoming disconnected from place for various reasons um but at the same time as that kind of decline there feels like this kind of complete resurgence both in like the market gardening movement and the local food production uh, but also this kind of resurgence of like people stopping still a bit more like where am i and like connecting a bit more to the nature around them to the plants around them and like actually lockdown was you know good for that in some ways in terms of like people actually realizing looking outside their door <laughs> both to where their food comes from but both also to like the nature of that place around them and like people you know yeah enjoying those spaces more and realizing that it's like a privilege to have those spaces and you know so so much there so we're kind of looking into the history of this place and like also again linking to those things of like remembering and imagining it was like looking into that fed into 
what we were imagining and visioning for this place and what was kind of the potential of the place of becoming. So, you know, what we envision, you know, I could sort of speak briefly to like the vision of this sort of air and this like land bioregion place. Like we're sort of developing this with like a group of people as well. And it's kind of been emerging a bit over years and kind of bubbling up and it links to this like market gardening and like agroecology, regenerative land, but it also links to like community and local economy um, and kind of the personal connection to place. So um, there's a few sort of things we're exploring. And I know we've talked about like the kind of local bioregional group, which I think has got like a lot of potential at the moment. It's kind of like using this energy of like environmental awareness, ecological emergency, um, but also people wanting to like connect more and after social isolation and things like that. So it's kind of using all of that energy, but like at the moment there's a bit of a thing of like where to channel it and like where's that going next <laughs> and I, I sort of I sense at the moment you know sensing in to my heart it feels like the most kind of appropriate channel for me at least is to kind of start with the land and look at like the place we're at and the people around us and still think with that systemic awareness if we can but like didn't necessarily always need to so it can just be like focusing on what what is here and how we can like regenerate this land around us how we can involve everyone and for it to be inclusive and things like that and so this kind of local bioregional concept is kind of like looking at the potential of this bioregion, which is, you know, this kind of distinct ecological, you know, entity of land. It's like usually surrounds a valley or a series of catchment areas. Um, and it, it, it yeah, it's of, it often like defines the character of a place. We start with that land. We start with its history. Like you said, a lot of the kind of deep history would have actually been like regenerative in in many ways and there would have been regenerative practices there would have been destructive ones too but you know we've got to like also look at that deep history of place um so the kind of bioregion the potential of that bioregional design you know could lead to things like a kind of permaculture design process for this whole bioregion potentially so that's something we're looking at uh, locally at the moment and it um i feel like that's got a lot of potential because taking that permaculture design lens but for an entire bioregion actually joins up a lot of the dots and joins up the people care and earth care and social systems and everything like that so that what that might look like it's you know a bit abstract in the <laughs> when you think of just like the permaculture design process for this massive area yeah <laughs> but what it might it's been happening you know, it's happened a lot around the world and it's especially in australia where permaculture was sort of coined in terminology and it's happened on you know thousands of acreage um, kind of going through this like design process starting with the land and how to restore that land but how that also has ripple effects for communities for economies etc so in Bath, for example you might use this kind of zoning methodology which looks like you're going from zone zero which is kind of yourself and this area around you and your home to like zone five which is like um you know sort of wilderness like the kind of broad broad scale landscape um there's lots of areas in between that so from you know zone zero where most people are we've got like zone one which is like the inner city so you can kind of imagine our bioregion we've got this you know city or multiple cities at the heart and then zone two is kind of the the urban fringe and around that zone we might have like you know community gardens small-scale market gardening rooftop beekeeping mm. kind of urban green spaces green architecture all of those things is how it all weaves together you know mm. social design inclusive politics and different economies and everything like that and then we sort of move out to like zones three which is kind of on the a bit on the periphery it's a bit where we western spring farm sits so i think in those zones often what's most appropriate is kind of this restoration agriculture and this kind of like rural it's like semi-rural semi-urban but you've got livelihoods that are kind of connecting both so it's kind of the fringe and it's like linking 
you know maybe agroecological farms to their communities to places in the city that are providing food for people to my community restaurants in zone one that are growing food for people so that's like kind of zone three it's like the outer ring and then you've got zone four which is kind of a bit more in our bioregion it's like a bit more rural it's like around the kind of hinterland it's like some of it like more steep land some of it might be more appropriate for like regenerative grazing or like broader scale um you know projects like reforestation um things like that there's projects like integrating we've got the first wild beaver populations coming back in the yeah. <laughs> bath uh, which is really exciting there actually very near where my boat is <laughs> need to go down and see them soon um so i've got all those things going on like that zone four which is the kind of like you know almost getting into wilder spaces and that's also where we can have like uh, scaled up agroecological designs for farms and for communities and like rural livelihoods things like that and then we kind of get into zone five which is kind of the outer ring of like much more wilderness and um it's further from that heart of where the city and the people are nested but it's still got to be like connected to that and we've got to like bridge those gaps a lot more but a lot of the what's appropriate in that range of the bioregion is often just kind of like restoration and like rewilding and it's on much broader acreage it's much more you know difficult terrain for like production and for like coppicing mm. and for all those sort of real livelihoods so it's actually more appropriate for often you know that sort of restoration things and it might still involve a lot of food production it might still involve a lot of fuel you know sustainable fuel and things like that i'm not, I'm not talking about carbon offsets and biofuel sure. of course but like much more <coughs> other sustainable <laughs> forms so we might be looking at like you know broader scale like nutteries for example where we can actually provide the bulk of our calories and, and proteins and stuff mm. which at the moment is not you know economically viable and when we harvest our nut trees at the moment you know you barely cover the cost of the time harvesting yeah, let, yeah, let yeah. alone shelling them <laughs> i mean it's it's, it's fascinating listening because like I'm, as you're talking i'm 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 imagining things mm. and i'm getting very excited but then i go to the thing what, what what's at the heart what seems to be at the heart of this is cooperation right mm. it's like it's like um there's a there's a understanding of an interdependence <clears throat> and that everything is needed to contribute to the mm. health of the whole. And so I look at that paradigm and I think the paradigm we're in of this highly competitive systems at the moment mm. where you might have, again, I, I don't know because I'm, I'm not a farmer, but I imagine, you know, as you go outwards, for example, at the moment, well, actually probably everywhere, but you've mm. got, you know, you've got, you know, you've got this competitive mindset that will exist within access to land, mm. what, you know what's the thing that you might grow on that land you're probably cultivating something that you can maximize your profit on mm. it might not be it's probably quite destructive to the long term future i mean yeah, yeah. all of these kind of um because again we've got the, we go back to where we sort of you know these different stories with this mm. the old story of of you know competitive farming um based on you know short term yield and productivity where you're sort of like, you know, blasting it with, um, you know, fairly destructive inputs to try mm. and keep that yield and, you know, all that. And so I guess just thinking about, because I even think this on a micro level, I'm thinking here, you know, I grow, I grow a bit of veg in my garden. My neighbours grow veg. There's a little mm. allotment down there. Everyone seems to be growing a bit of veg. Mm. And you, usually by about sort of September or so, <laughs> everyone's putting stuff out their doors, right? Because take, take, take some of my beans or like, you know, my courgettes have turned into marrows or whatever it is. Yeah. But you kind of, I, I sometimes think, what would it look like if we were joined up? Like we were sort mm. of going, well, I can grow here where I am. I, I always get like really good beetroot harvest, for example. Mm. But your neighbour might say, well, we can grow X. And, you know, you actually mm. get into that culture of where you're sort of intentionally... Mm 
thinking about stuff in a more joined up way. Mm. So I guess that's what this is all about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. How yeah. does that? Sorry, I've been rambling. I'm thinking as I'm, I'm thinking no, as I'm speaking here. <laughs> how do you like? What is your? What are you learning from? You know this type of visioning that you're doing, and how you're starting to. For example, I guess how do you? How are you bringing people together from these different zones? For example, mm. what what's that been like? What where is it working? What are the kind of you know? I guess I'm just I'm really curious about how, how do we make this stuff go faster mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? yeah, what's blocking yeah. it what is what's needed to kind mm. of help make this vision really move mm. yeah no thanks for that yeah i think <laughs> the um yeah i'm glad you brought up like the cooperation aspect because that's like so i probably don't emphasize it enough in like the story of middle ground either but it's kind of that's also in a way just as we're trying to model these kind of restoration agriculture principles it's actually mod modeling new forms of leadership new forms of collaboration mm think so that's where it's all again going back to that it's all interwoven so we're just as in activism when it's prefigurative it'll prefigure it you know prefigure more you know decentralized leadership more like empowerment collectively you know the same with like what we're doing whether it's in our own lives in our communities or with like our business practices or with the land practices we've also got to like prefigure how we want to be and how we want to interact and how we want to cooperate Mm. and those happen to also be the biggest levers for like those things you said to actually happen mm. <laughs> and also they're totally necessary on a much like deeper collaborative model to be able to collaborate and cooperate with um not only the people we like align with an ideology but to be able to like cooperate with all of these stakeholders and all of these you know even with the most challenging and like the old inertia and the kind of old systems we've still got to like bridge a little bit as well because yeah, if we want to get beyond what we spoke at the start of our sort yeah. of political you know our centralized structures yeah of institutional power where it's just so divisive yeah so binary yeah yeah and we've got to move beyond that from you know the, the, it feels like this these spaces where we're building from the bottom mm. up yeah we have to move beyond that but i'm guessing you must be running into that 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 tension yeah. all over the place yeah totally yeah yeah there's both it does go back to both that kind of we both got to like model the new forms of that collaboration and cooperation which is kind of in many ways kind of like the nice bit <laughs> like you know we're modeling like collaborative agroecology we've got like a great team on the farm and we've like we're finding our roles and responsibilities and we're like modeling like more collective leadership and like empowering each other to do different aspects of the farm whether it's like business or propagation or animals or um agroecology and that sort of thing we're kind of you know working with that and we're also modeling on a more like bigger scale we've got you know with the training aspect and like with our trainees and they're like taking on new market gardens around bath so they're like it's kind of modeling new forms of producer cooperation as well so we've linked we link up with a lot of organic farms already like people we know or like farms i've worked on uh you know with around the area because there's you know not that many like small scale organic farms around here so we you know cooperating with them to be it's coming over time like we want to like develop this kind of producers cooperative model but we're like collaborating with them but also with our previous trainees who are now starting there's two new market gardens in bath starting with those guys Amazing. and so it's not like it's not like competition like oh no these new market gardens are starting they're going to take all our veg customers or whatever <laughs> it's like actually no it's like we've got so much work to do to provide the food for this city this is like just what we need and actually it it lifts us up and we lift them up through that and they're kind of still staying engaged with 
middle ground growers but they're like having autonomy on these new plots and they've managed to find land to access and lease which you know we a whole other topic we can get onto yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of it's modeling that new form of cooperation as well so that so you're, um, you're operating off a value system basically. yeah essentially yeah so yeah. it's and it is like kind of modeling that trailblazing that new and old way of like you know we're talking to them about oh well can you grow like the onions and the radishes and then we're growing this sort of thing and we're still like trying to grow a functional diversity so we're not just going into like you know monocultures and things like that yeah. but we're like working to like work into what the land wants and requires like you said your land good for you know beet shoots and <laughs> stuff like that it's like kind of doing that on a different you know yeah. on a on the farming scale and like linking up these different uh growers and we're like we're talking to a lot of old market gardeners around as well who are quite you know in there not all of them like not to generalize but like sometimes the is both you know they we connect on the kind of local food and market gardening and local economies sort of thing but um you know the kind of the kind of mindsets and approaches to farming are fairly different in some ways um because it's you know it's, it can be like you know tractors and chemicals and stuff like that sometimes <laughs> not always there's a lot of organic market gardens around bath as well but um it can be like yeah just in like quite a different mindset so it's kind of like bridging that and still like <clears throat> still kind of communicating healthfully and like being able to like work together on things that we're actually providing for a greengrocers of an, another market garden and they're like supplying us with stuff and things like that so it's we've kind of found a way to like collaborate through that and through like what we're doing which is like the kind of the farming and the day-to-day -day and the land work and they're kind of like struggling to be able to pass on that land because there's you know they think there's a lack of interest in growing and things like that and then we're coming from this completely new angle yes. of like there's loads of interest in growing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and there's like there's dozens of trainees like all around the country there's a whole network of people wanting to train in market gardening and like looking for bits of land to do all of that so that there's that whole side of it of like cooperating to create this kind of producers cooperative and like the training aspect of bringing people up through to like learn these land-based skills like the relearning and remembering um and then giving them kind of autonomy to like then be change makers and then do that so we've had great success with that like all of our trainees have gone on to start growing projects you know in the last year which is amazing, amazing. <laughs> so that's great and then I guess then to like kind of touch on the kind of the deeper cooperation and the more like challenging one and like the kind of tensions that's like the whole other side of it of like um navigating change work when you're in this kind of in some ways like toxic paradigm and like um quite challenging you know worldviews and like especially you know being in bath sometimes it can be like very you're like very surrounded by kind of quite um different ideologies and things like that and it's but that's kind of like we're always surrounded by all that it's kind of like the diversity of things so it's <clears throat> i think we've got to like kind of meet people where we're at and like going back to the messaging of like kind of messaging and community projects that are inclusive and kind of bring people along with them um that, i think that's like the kind of the ideal and although sometimes you can try and do that and do it as best you can and it will still come up to like opposition because yeah. we're like because one we're creating something new and it's changed and people don't like that um and two it's kind of like it's trailblazing the way for this like sort of yeah these things because we're kind of like um just going to like one example is like kind of like battling up against this old planning system you know mm. it's been like over a year and like over 10 grand of cost just trying to get planning for like a simple agricultural barn that we wanted to do a green roof but the planning system demands we do a concrete roof <laughs> Makes no and it's just like absolute bonkers yeah and it's taken so long and so much money and so much bureaucracy from a council that supports says they support environment and climate and stuff like that mm. and it's, it's not to like critique the council or so but it's more like that the kind of the old processes and systems of like planning and things haven't caught up to like the context yeah and they're also not 
inclusive of or considering of like small scale organic farming or of like young farmers or like generations pe- or people that don't have access to land yeah. or like loads of stuff you know or like you know ethnic and black minority groups trying to access land anything like that so it's it's so difficult to like kind of butt up against these systems you know we keep getting into our flow of momentum and like just wanting to like get going with the things and we've we're doing all we can with it but then we get up to these like big barriers of like oh we, as soon as we want to make like a big impact you meet this big resistance you know just like with activism so that's mm-hmm. why we've kind of got to still keep a bit of a foot in that world of like the oppositional and a bit like at sometimes just like you know we are trailblazing this new way of like you know small scale organic growing and you know new food production systems but also old models of local growing and cooperation and things like that and like people aren't even used to like seeing a team of people running the land it's just like what? yeah <laughs> so it's yeah, like right. meeting the resistance that like with local farmers they're looking at it like they're looking at it with interest because they're like oh this is good young people wanting to get into farming because i'm you know the average age of the uk farmer is 60 yeah. and there's thousands of acreage and most of them are on big debt driven farms and industrial agriculture and then they're like looking like i think there's a lot of sense of like they've been left behind and they've been like forced into these things through the economic challenges and then but actually they care deeply for their land like a lot of big scale farmers around us you know really do they connect to their land a lot and they want to do what's best for it but there's all these economic yeah they're they're tied up they've they've been taken up by it yeah yeah i mean gosh there's there's so much in that but some of what you're speaking to on this whole kind of um you know structures and systems and you know what the things that are sort of there's these some things like you say that are connecting maybe more divided folks are sort of connecting Mm. over some of these things that you're bringing in but there's obviously still some things that are sort of pushing you apart opposing Mm. um and this feels so i mean i was just thinking about the the access to to land Mm. and these and these structures of planning and you know they're they're i guess again i'm not i'm not a legal expert but what i hear often is that you know we're we're trying to sort of create these these new systems but we're working with sort of such old mm. <laughs> um you know governance and legal mm. and financing and everything we're sort of constrained almost by sort of mm. these these structures um land access has come up quite a lot and you spoke to you know marginalized groups people of color who's been historically in this country you know really pushed off land mm. or um the you know there's a there's a there's a big sort of feels like there's a there's a lot of energy around land access um and then um the other thing that's coming up is hearing these stories of farmers who like you say have been doing this for forever some mm. many are, reti- are reaching kind of retire you know want to retire mm. um and uh, and and you're hearing more and more farmland is being um bought up for silly money by mm. things like corporations trying to sort yeah. of um, deal with carbon credits and <clears throat> using mm. land for kind of you know conifer for tree planting so that they can keep keep mm. sort of doing business as usual but claim to mm. be sort of um, responding to this kind of net zero madness so um mm. that that's kind of quite deeply what i find that quite deeply worrying because it's again and i'm not sure people really understand the implication of that if we go back to you know food security and Mm. and livelihoods of people and and this amazing kind of light that you and your crew are sort of shining on what could be with with particularly in this place but then you've got these kind of these barriers particularly finance and and access Mm. um what are you 
hearing from, or what are you getting from your experiences with connections with farmers who mm. or landowners and do you do you feel that tension and mm, yeah I, I think there's two kind of paths and trajectories because you kind of alluded to both there's kind of there's this great like potential and there's this thing of like lots of people want to access that land lots of people want to like learn these land skills and we're noticing like you know we work with the land workers alliance and there's like this huge network of people being trained in organic growing I think it's you know it's, I say it's huge it's like it's growing and it's like it sh- should be upscaled <laughs> and supported by the government and things but it's not but you know there's this there is this kind of growing energy around that and people wanting to connect to land and wanting to like develop a land-based meaningful livelihood and you know live sustainably on the land and things like that as well but and then there's this there's this kind of and, and like I said that that aspect does match up with like there's this huge land potential and these huge areas of land like farmers that um, it's not working economically and they're like get into retirement and there's like there's also big areas of council land that was once allotments and was once other things and it's there's lots of brownfield sites that could be transformed and could be you know could be accessed by a more diversity of people and things like that for all these changes that need to happen anyway and that could be the greatest solutions to all this converging crisis we're in so that's that kind of the the one path that's like that potential and that like that opportunity in it. and that's like one way it it could go like those opportunities could meet and that that could open up a lot more land access for people and um that's sort of almost like this yeah like you say like the, 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 this access to land and bring, allowing people back on to, yeah. to start growing <clears throat> could be this kind of catalyst for so many of these issues yeah. that we're sort of facing into right yeah totally yeah and it, and it could be through there's various means that that could be through like we've touched on like ecological land trusts you know it could be that because you know, it's not like accessible for like an individual or a young farmer to like buy land or even to lease land is tricky and it comes with its own insecurities and challenges and things like that which we're also grappling with at the moment <laughs> but there's um you know but there is this kind of there are these kind of mechanisms and things like an ecological land trust there's there's a group in devon that are kind of they are like managing to like source funding for and purchase like plots of 20 acres um they make them available for uh, for these like land-based enterprises for like market gardeners but it's also it's kind of collaborative you know they brought, they buy a 20 acre or 30 acre plot and they'll like through their organization they'll kind of organize and take a lot of the heavy lifting of like the kind of helping with planning and all these systems with you know using professionals that have been in those systems themselves yeah. <laughs> which is great and then they'll kind of open up those plots to groups and giving priority to minority groups like get access to that land and people with you know training in it as well and that maybe it combines with a training program to access that training too, but that's kind of got loads of potential, and that's just kind of evolving, and that's that's part of what I envisage for like this Bath bioregion is like an ecological land trust where we can like secure these plots of land, not as like individual landowners, but as an ecological land trust that secures that land for like thousands of years, and it could be written into the laws of that trust, but then it also gives secure leases and livelihoods. And opportunities for like small scale growers for coppicing for like community gardens for all this sort of thing so that's kind of one mechanism that that path could follow and that's and that's sort of um following you know which i i love this because this is this idea again of we're, we're sort of taking this idea of ownership throwing it away mm. going back more to kind of how indigenous people have always seen like you know we can't own the land yeah. the land owns us yeah yeah and, and and like you say you become rather than an owner you're a mm. steward of yeah for however long you're there for right yeah and then you hand it on to whoever comes next and you keep this kind of cycle of you break this idea of ownership yeah which has become probably at the root of so many of our problems right yeah totally yeah yeah i think there is 
you know, so much appetite for change that there's also like there's parallel movements with like kind of you know occupying land and things that's kind of like it more in the oppositional realm but you know maybe those are also needed to kind of kickstart you know those challenges but there's also the kind of co-creational work of like just like working with current landowners and like you know we're talking a lot with our neighbors there's one neighbor with you know 100 acres and he's really open to like permacultural stuff and to like you know leasing areas or you know even long-term leases for kind of like these new opportunities and kind of developing a permaculture design for that site so that's really fascinating and leases and there's a lot that of, are accessible would you say or i mean yes yeah yeah as far as i know yeah i think yeah there are definitely opportunities for that and the our two trainees from last year have taken on growing opportunities on leased land from you know larger landowners but ones that are kind of beginning to think differently and they've entered a bit of a dialogue with like yeah, how do I want this land to be steward? And they sort of, so they're leasing them for free to these market gardeners to start up. Get them going. And get them going, which is great. And they still have these barriers to like startup costs, but then there's also, you know, we've got to find and adapt to ways around that. Like, you know, we've used crowdfunding and gathering momentum around that, but there's other ways as well. And there's also like starting small and just building it slowly, which we've done a bit of that as well. So, um, so that's like that, that kind of one path of like that one trajectory of like, matching up landowners and access to all of all of those things like through ecological land trusts through like returning land to indigenous communities through all of these things um but then there's you know this other path you've alluded to this like kind of trajectory of like so much land being brought up by like you know corporations and people for offsets and kind of just as an asset bubble thing like you know bill gates and dyson buying up like millions of acres <laughs> it's mm. absolutely bonkers and it's like you know i think dyson's got more acreage than anyone in the uk as far, last time i looked it's like and it, you know there's, there's some like there's some things in there you look at the plans for it and things that look like oh he wants to do like regenerative agriculture in this place and do that and then you can kind of look at it and this is where it's not black and white because you look at that and think oh that could be like a good that could be a good thing oh someone taking a lead on this buying all these land and like doing regenerative agriculture but i think that's like coming from as far as i've looked into it I could we look into it more deeply but it still comes from the same paradigm of it's quite like it's top down it's technology orientated it's not about like a small scale regenerative agriculture with communities or in collaboration or or tuning into the land more or with earth care values it's more like it's seen as like a commercial yeah, it's still opportunity extractive it's extractive it. yeah, yeah it's not including people on the land it's kind of envisaging this future where people aren't really working on the land much and like you know, it's sort of scary going to this kind of like, you know, robotic technology. That's like a very real and possible and some would say likely future we're heading towards if we don't, you know, give more energy and momentum and funding and resources mm. to this other trajectory and path that we could be on, mm. which is kind of giving more land access to a diversity of people and developing actual models that don't recreate the problems. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with my dad, Dan Burgess. So what's, um, it's fascinating, what what in your sense in this region, in this place, in Bath, what's, what is blocking this work that you're doing or this, this visioning that's starting to come together? I guess, you know, blocking or what would what would what would help 
build more momentum around this? Is it funders? And if so, what sort of what? Because I guess you know, it's where did, where is money coming from? I guess mm. that's important, right? In because in our old story, money tends to want return mm. <laughs> quite quite quickly, you mm. know. And so this feels like. Um, uh, you know, uh, it was a great, great. Was it sort of, very, sort of highly patient money? Maybe you know, mm. it's like sort of. But what, what is it? Is it? Is it that? Is it? Is it the? Is it the kind of the? Um, some of like you say, like the, the the planning and regulation. I guess it's probably all of these things. But mm. what? If you could you give us a sense of like what today? What feels like the the big blocks for building mm. more momentum around this idea? Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, there's there is the kind of this like systemic inertia so there's the kind of the bigger level stuff of like you know the economics of it um the, you, could, you know because like a lot of land is just been put into like what is most profitable or things like that or like you know with those technology companies buying it up and that raising the price of land and like london people buying up land in rural areas and stuff like that so there's all those kind of barriers that just like push that land price up to something unreachable um, and then alongside all the other economic factors of like, you know, food and land-based livelihoods are not valued enough. You know, people spend a tenth of the income they did 40 years ago on food, but also the cost of other livings increased and other things. So it's it's, a, it's such a, you know, difficult polarity to reconcile because it's like land workers have got to be paid properly and it's got to be, the land work has got to be done like ecologically and everything like that. And they've got to be paid. That's like a social justice thing as they like those livelihoods. And then the food's got to be affordable, but then it's sort of pitted against like, industrial commercial food that's like factory produced subsidized heavily using finite fossil fuel reserves to make it seem artificially cheap and all these things that push carrots down to 70p a kilo (laughs) or something like that so it's a really that's a really complex one to navigate and um you know i've got to integrate that kind of social justice perspective into the work um but i think there's kind of those big macro abstract barriers and those kind of systemic inertia things that prevent this from really taking off um, and there's the land access we've touched upon. There's like the access to startup capital. Um, so, you know, for our trainees from the previous year, then they're starting on very tiny, tiny budgets and, you know, going to see how it goes the first year. But really, then if they had, if they had like the ability to like properly start it up as they could, you know, they've got the skills, they've got the land, they've got the outlets for it because there's more growing demand for local produce, things like that. So actually it could spiral off just from a small injection of, what, of what that initial of, capital what, 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 I, know, I, know it's, I know it's like how long's a piece of string but for for a small you know for a for a market gardener that's coming out of an apprenticeship coming out of training yeah. has you know effectively potentially had some you know got a lease for a either free or has got a small small yeah. uh, rent like what sort of what's the sort of startup capital they require like ballparking yeah well kind of- ballpark is you know between seven and ten thousand pounds yeah. to like get you know very basic stuff like the tools getting the compost getting a, a polytunnel of propagation getting the actual things and like you know maybe the first few weeks of kind of getting stuff set up and like you know the labor costs have got to be included yeah. in all of that yeah. so they're not just like you know I, I the first two years i wasn't paid for any of it because we weren't didn't have any yeah inj- and then it was only st- when we started making a proper income from veg boxes which you know comes in like year two year three yeah um so you know now we're going to be able to like pay ourselves full time which is great to like to build that but i think yeah in that initial year it can be something as you know small as you know seven grand to like put that into it yeah and then obviously for our we'd already built that model and done that on a small acreage and then for like the larger agroecological farms like the next kind of catalyst the accelerator program is kind of like you know that needs like bigger investments that needs like if you want to do like long-term perennial crops 
um, proper infrastructure that's also sustainably built and all of that that needs like a bit more so there's kind of that, that access to startup capital is a big one and there are some solutions being found for it but some of them still operate in the kind of existing like loans and kind of that sort of thing but there are some interesting bridges there's like the Oxfordville Farming Conference and uh, Leap and there's various organisations that are kind of helping to kind of fund that transition mm. it's much better in a lot of other countries in Europe um, where they are providing those like there's almost like startup programs you get like free or even paid training yeah. for young farmers and so I mean, there's all these things I mean, that could just, happen exactly it's just taking me back to like that ipcc everyone thinking like you know we're we're subsidizing more fossil fuel infrastructure yeah. right billions that we're yeah, subsidizing yeah. more even when like the science is saying you know you're taking us into an unlivable planet and you think why aren't we subsidizing yeah. young farmers right <laughs> yeah. to create to, you know these are small micro grants you think of the billions that go into mm. this kind of speeding us up with fossil fuel and what we're talking about here is slowing us down and creating some sense of health and resilience for communities like what mm. could be more vital mm. than that right and it just again it doesn't fit these these shifts it's just where the, where we decide what we decide matters isn't it because money flows to what we believe is is important mm. um yeah and because uh, i'm imagining is it just on that question i saw my final my final rant about the ipcc report but they were for the first time ever uh they've talked about what they call in technical terms um demand side mitigation which basically mm. means like behavior changes mm. right? so mm. they sort of talked about this across this report and when it comes to food obviously they're talking about demand demand side mitigation which effectively means things like you know eating and again they, they don't even really speak to like you know the elephant in the room let's mm. let's stop let's stop producing so many animal carcasses and uh and eating let's mm. you know but, but they talk about sustainable healthy diets right and um and obviously we're getting into here i guess the type of food um the diets that we could be shifting to because mm. that's why i find this stuff again it's so interesting because what you're speaking to in you know there is there is both there's both money and capital there's the systemic kind of uh, you know governance and legal and stuff then there's the sort of demand side there's almost like the cultural mm. shifts that have to occur right the stories almost like why why mm. local people want to support this stuff why mm. why people want to shift for me like you know it might be an uncomfortable conversation in a, in the west mm. when we talk about you know shifting our diets but we know how destructive our modern diets have become right and so mm. it's, in, it's the concept of like going back to like can bar feed itself right mm. and what could could a network of young farmers you know between them you know create you know sustain a population and kind of what it makes me think like what would that diet look like do you mm. know what i mean yeah. and i don't know if, i mean there's quite a lot in there but do you have do you have thoughts on that because i feel like you know personally again I feel, you know, people say, oh, yeah, but you can have a choice. I think, no, bollocks to that. We're in an mm. emergency, right? Are we going to be remembered as the people that were so selfish because mm. we wanted to just eat animals every day that we couldn't be asked to change our mm. diet? Do you know what I mean? We, we really be known as that, you know, in the you know, our sort mm. of future ancestors. We'll look mm. back. I think, you know, it's it's not saying, but I tell you, so for me, the idea of a different form of diet that's local, that's highly mm. nutritious, that can be so interesting as well, mm. but I think like that's a com that's a conversation, that's a story, that's a narrative that for mm. me also is really important, right, for this stuff because mm. 
helping shift people to something. Yeah. But I, I guess there's a there's a lot <clears throat> there's a lot in it. I'm not sure what question I'm asking you, but I just wonder mm. whether you're that idea of where we you know we that idea of you know feeding a place that could feed itself. Mm. Obviously, diet and the types of things that we're going to eat must come into it, right? Because mm. we can't keep just eating everything we want whenever we want. Yeah, and no, I'm glad. Yeah, glad you brought diet up because I think it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where we can it can easily think it's not relevant, like a kind of like personal individual diet and things like that. And I've definitely been in that space before, like when I was in, you know, activism spaces. I think I was just feeling a bit like. Oh, you know, like all this individual action doesn't matter and everything like that. And like, I actually totally understand that. But then I think, I think now, like through connecting to food growing and through like really questioning diet and like where the local, my local food, you know, my nourishment comes from. Is it food that's alive? Is it, you know, energizing me? And is it, you know, just from a personal perspective, but then is it also restoring the planet and things like that? So it's now come back around to me of like going beyond that polarity of like individual and systemic action and actually. Um, you know, it's actually, it's like both, and it's like the dance between them of like actually our, you know, our day to day things and what we choose to do and eat and everything like that is like so entwined, and it does actually, you know, it creates the culture we want and it creates the systems we want in its own ways, but that has huge ripple effects, and it's once it's woven into the collective, then it has huge potential for change. So it's it's one theory of change, and it's obviously a whole tapestry of change, but I think that the diet point is like actually really crucial and it's like actually what we like choose to eat actually directly feeds <laughs> into um what sort of both what the land looks like like you know if we're choosing to eat these sort of industrial and processed foods and everything like that, which is totally understandable because i also do sometimes because it's just like we're in that system and it's what's easily available it's what's cheap and what's affordable and everything like that so but you know at the end of the day like eating those foods reflects in how the land looks and like whether it's like being restored or whether it's been destroyed it's like that's simple that it goes like directly to that it's like we can we can support regenerative practices or we can kind of support the degenerative business as usual practices like that so i've been on so many like activist protests where we're just like having so much food and stuff that's come in from like basically supporting business as usual whilst chanting about business yeah. as usual i don't want to go into like the kind of hypocrisy thing because it's not about that like we're all hypocrites in some yeah. ways and it's kind of not about that but it's more about like <clears throat> I think for me it's more about like one it's like kind of the integrity of it and like feeling like our actions do make a difference because they you know they, they do like shift those systems over time and with those actions but also it's about just you know even just from like a personal perspective it's like what diets like truly are we you know like nourish us and I'll become part of who we are and like having much more like you know perennial diets and having much more like plant-based diets and things like that are also just like more energizing you know what i find i can only speak from my own perspective but like having foods that are alive basically whether they're from plant sources or you know some regenerative meat sources or anything i think it's like what foods are actually one restoring life on land and you know part of a natural system rather than an unnatural system and two like are they like foods that are alive and have like, you know, it's kind of what Steiner talked of about like the soul of a food and things like that. I think that's like quite important to me. That's kind of from a more like biodynamic spiritual farming aspect, but I think it is quite critical and it will become more critical over time. Cause I think a lot of the industrial foods and everything, we actually like limit humanity in a lot of ways, like in ways we don't quite know at the moment as well. But there are, there's also like very clear scientific studies about like how like just this, you know, lack of diversity in food crops and monocultures actually leads to monocultures of like 
minds and lower energy and more like heaviness and sluggishness and like struggling to wake up in the morning and all those all those things and I felt that you know at times when my diet's worse like it just reflects in all yeah. that I do and think and my quality of thoughts and actions is totally different so I think yeah. actually diet can be like a huge leverage for like not just personal but planetary transformation um and I think we've got to like also go beyond the kind of polarities of like oh just like veganism and plant-based versus like meat yeah. I think that's kind of I don't know I think that's kind of been polarized so much by like media and forces and it's also been polarized by the meat industry just as much as by you know veganism so it's for me it's kind of like beyond that there's like there's foods that are natural there's foods that are local we know where they come from and we can like actually give credit to the source of them and then there's foods that are like unnatural and part of the degenerative paradigm so that that can be plant-based or not <laughs> you know we can have there's plenty of degenerative vegan foods and like industrial processed plant-based foods that are just contributing to whatever it is deforestation or just plastic packaging or all these sort of things and there's plenty of meat sources that are like you know regenerative um and actually yeah they buy product yeah the process basically yeah yeah it's back. a natural process yeah so i kind of like it's interestingly in my shift from like in the activism from the kind of oppositional quite polarized thing to kind of and i'm sure people disagree with that it's fine but in that shift towards from the oppositional to the more prefigurative activism my diet's changed and become much more regenerative from kind of vegan junk food and kind of food that wasn't nourishing me towards like now it's like mostly plant-based like 95 percent mm. with some like regenerative meat from our neighbor who does rotational grazing it's all grass-fed and it's like not land that we could cultivate or plant trees anyway and things like that and then plus like some wild meats and things like that from populations we've caused imbalance in you know pigeons or whatever it is so it's quite it's yeah a lot of deer yeah that's it so it's 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 all quite nuanced i think and i don't think anyone's got got the the perfect diet or the solutions but i think but you see that's it's it's because this fascinates me because again i'm 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 no I'm, i'm not claiming to be an expert here at all but through my own exploration and the linkage then of like the linkage between access to land so mm. like you know the enclosure acts which kick people off mm. stewarding land right and stewarding water and and being in relationship with that land and having kind of food sovereignty that was mm. connected to that place at least my understanding of that that enclosure act kick started really the journey into making food a commodity mm. right and so therefore forcing us into this idea that we have to pay for food because mm. people go but yeah, capitalism started somewhere <laughs> Do you know what I mean? mm. and i think at least as far as i can understand it started with you know elites kicking people off the land that's mm. kind of where this all this mm. you can pinpoint the shifts mm. and so then food became commoditized what we eat because when you think about it when you when you're able and again i speak probably from a place of privilege because i'm able i've been able to experiment with this in my mm. own life yeah. but you know playing with learning learning about you know you know certain times of the year as the spring comes the greens that i can forage that are wild you know relationships mm. with plants like nettles things that we've been told mm. are like not food you know you mm. suddenly arts these microgreens that are that are growing mm. everywhere and then you know the plants that are based that are coming through or, or best place then there's a relationship like you say with wild meats wild mm. species that are again in an abundance mm. and actually if there's a relationship that's that's certain time of the year mm. you know um you suddenly start to realize that actually and when you start to think that everyone could be cultivating something mm. and sharing other things 
you, you suddenly start thinking actually there's a completely different diet mm. that's actually like you say that actually connects you to your place both kind of mm. like spiritually but also from a sort of well-being perspective because mm. I, I, i'm really fascinated mm. in the fact that you know we're you know probably not so long ago, you know we we were we were eating things that we were supposed to eat because they were of those landscapes mm, whereas yeah. how much poor health has come from eating commoditized mm. industrial food products mm. i mean it's we have a public health crisis from mm. poor nutritional mm. diet so it's it's really interesting isn't it because mm. there's a, there's so much in this but i guess ultimately where i get to as well it's a lot of the tension lies because actually it could be very, very disruptive to the commercial food system, mm. doesn't it? This kind of way of almost taking back ownership of our mm. of our food, and it's yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think, and I think that point in what you just made about that kind of there will be that resistance of that commercial industrial food system that's like this crazy global thing run off chemicals and fossil fuels and everything but it's um there will be that huge resistance to that and we're seeing the response is to in my view is to like produce a load of like greenwash and commercial foods that seem like they're like it's like plant-based junk food or if it's like you know vegan supermarket stuff and like and there does i also understand there needs to be like a bridge to like for people to be more plant-based it needs to appeal and like people at the end of the day buy stuff with this packet because they seem to trust it from the supermarket. So yeah. there does need to be the bridge. There do need to be those, you know, more sustainable products and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not food of place and it's come from the same commercial paradigm. It's probably come from similar farms that have just like shifted from using um, organic chemicals to some like new technological non-organic, like organic spray or something. <laughs> and like they've just produced it in the same way with deep tillage and put an organic label on it. So it's like, you know, beyond that polarity of organic versus non-organic, just as the polarity of plant-based or meat, it's um, it's just so like complex, the whole food topic. But yeah, I'm glad you sort of brought that up because it, it does link to that kind of the resistance of that like commercial food structures that are in place. And the only way to kind of like respond to that is kind of like produce real like natural foods that are like, you know, start going back to Steiner again, he called it like food of place. And it's just like, you can really like, you know, you can go to a region and you can taste that food and you can taste that place and that essence of place and like even you know the sort of it's part of the personalities of the people growing it and stuff like that and it's like mm. you know returning to that seems almost quite distant yet familiar and like remembering and imagining but yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, food of place is really i think where we've got to go back to like natural foods we know where it's grown we know who's grown it um, and it'll take a while because we don't you know don't have many local growers and things like that but we've got to have like you know transformation towards that i think <clears throat> and it's um as i say and if you if you if we you know if we go back to the kind of the the, the the systemic the global context like we're in we're in trouble right and judging by that latest report today and the way that that's mm. you say ba barely in the media you can pretty much guarantee that you know this isn't gonna this isn't gonna be solved from the top down so we come back to mm. bottom up places people you know food is the great leveler right you know you can have as much wealth as you like but if you can't put food on your plate mm. you know you're, you're buggered right mm. so there is <laughs> there's something very interesting in these times about you know what you're trying to do and the communities here and obviously everywhere but this because it makes me think a little bit even you talk about those the need for startup capital I was, a, um, I was chatting to a, in fact a few people recently have talked about you know this um, actually 
Felipe, who I just released an episode with, Viros, was saying, you know, that the antidote to the Anthropocene is mm. is reciprocity and solidarity. And he's like, you know, you know, and he's sort of like this. He has this sort of says, you know, you you know, we can be we can be building this now everywhere, right? Like, if you've mm. got money, like. Why not give some of your money to someone in your street that mm. hasn't got any money but is trying to grow food, right? Like support mm. them. <laughs> it's mm. just like yeah. you don't have to be, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be official. It's just like mm. we can start to support each other to do things, mm. you know, to help people through because we're in this process of, yeah, this reimagining and dealing with the complexity of living in the industrial paradigm mm. still <laughs> and trying to birth this new way. Mm. But it, it, it's really interesting, I think. And I come back, I speak to that because Bath is. Maybe let's just speak briefly to that. But, you know, it is a city and a place that has an enormous amount of wealth and, and privilege and yet has an enormous amount of poverty mm. that you can't, you don't really see it. Mm-hmm. But there are parts of this city that, you know, people are really struggling, right? But you often don't see it in mm. that thing. And so it's, it's an interesting question for me about, you know, this idea, this vision that you're talking to of this place but actually, you know, can we imagine uh, a, a, um, the community of this city willing to kind of, you know, try mm. and, you know, break down these divides and these mm. inequalities mm. through the idea of like food? Because I think mm. that is, that's kind of feels like what's being called for, you know, mm. a sort yeah, of yeah. radical sort of collaboration and generosity yeah. and long-term thinking. And, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, it's a good... I think good to like touch upon that. I think one mechanism through that, which is what we're exploring now, is kind of this idea of community supported agriculture. So kind of bridging like what we were saying about like, oh, we're stuck in this like industrial food system. You're still most of us, you know, getting food from those degenerative places, even if we have values aligned to something else. But you know, that's where we're at at the moment as well. And it's like bridging that, how do we then bridge that to like that vision and that like yeah, the kind of more community supported agriculture and like restoration agriculture. Um, and one that brings along like the marginalized communities actually as leaders in it like that those fertile edges of society and like you know I come from one of them myself and like now I'm part of a traveling community and I notice that edge is where like so much of the creativity and life comes from in Bath you know the boating community it's like amazing <laughs> you go around you're like oh half the musicians in the city are just yeah. like from this small patch of boaters <laughs> yeah, and like the crafts people and the trades people and the people that keep it going a lot of the way so it, it does all come from that kind of that edges which is a permaculture principle as well it's like you using value the edge um you know symbiotically and well all the interesting of, shit's going on that's it yeah it is yeah the edge is where it's at yeah <laughs> that's a good permaculture song <laughs> put that as the play out music <laughs> but um but yeah i think so like community supported agriculture for me is like a way to kind of blend those together and to bridge that from that food paradigm we're in which is very individualistic and very you know commercial and industrial and things like that bridging it to like a food system that's more regenerative and things like that so we're kind of looking to develop that more and more but at the moment you know we've got there's this you know community as part of our community supported agriculture they've been part of the farm project there's new people joining all the time and there's people from a whole range of different income groups and we're looking at this year we're like really like trying to look at like how to nail that kind of like integrate the social justice into that so how can we not have like whether it's sliding scale for veg boxes or whether it's like 
currently it's been like ad hoc like it's just been like we give some free food boxes to these people and then you know there's there's kind of income from yeah, other like events one, you almost sort of, imagine one for one right buy one give yeah. one yeah, yeah that's so it yeah there are plenty of people in this yeah, city yeah. who could do that and we have people that, you know, if they're like away for a few weeks holiday then they can choose to like donate their bo- box nice. to like a food uh, boxing then we just drop off fresh produce because a lot of you know these food banks and things it's not like good quality organic healthy produce yeah. but we want to like provide for those things as well for like free ideally you know yeah. if, we, if we were guaranteed a livelihood before all of that then we'd just be able to grow for grow for like who needs it most basically that's what we'd focus on um so like the community support agriculture thing can do that because it can link together all these people and we've got we've actually got networks of communication you know if you need like whatsapp groups and stuff where actually all those people communicate they share recipes share ideas like surplus veg gets exchanged and ideas get exchanged and like it's bringing people together like across any boundaries and across any multiple communities into like this through the food and through the land so we're kind of interested to like develop that further and further over the years if you can have like you know multiple csas community supported agriculture projects around the city that can actually get people out of that industrial food thing because they're getting the food directly from their farm down the road but they're also linking up to a community of producers and consumers in a very different relationship to what we've been thought of as them being separate mm. which is really interesting and then there's the kind of like the food side of it so again bridging from that industrial to like the more regenerative and small scale and grassroots from the food side of it we want to like develop more and more over time towards like you know not just growing like veg and fruit for boxes but actually <clears throat> kind of moving towards like regenerative food boxes and like providing you know, more perennial fruits and nuts and, um, you know, all sorts of like no-till uh, milled flour that's then baked by a local bakery and things like that, like providing that all in one, you know, kind of regenerative food box. But it, it's not like we're like controlling all of that. It's more like there's a symbiosis between all these different producers. Yeah. There's a producers cooperative, which we can facilitate all of that, you know, through our communities. And there could be multiple of them rather than one big one. Um, but those like regenerative food boxes will be a way to like we can actually start with like actually both giving people like a really like enlivening food from food of place um but also like connecting to them to the land they're nearby you can go on like farm visits and see where it's produced they can trust it uh they don't need to have any packaging it all delivered by bike you know what we do at the moment but we can upscale that um and it's it's just like it integrates all these different things and social justice and stuff like that so there's like the food side of it and then there's like the community supported agriculture which is really interesting because it like mm. it's a way to like through land as an anchor like connect the kind of social and ecological <laughs> crises yeah. and opportunities and solutions yeah it's beautiful it's, it's um as i say it just you know it, when you when you're speaking it, it just it takes me to this it, it is a living it's a living system is it? it's an mm. organism <laughs> made up of all mm. that's what's so interesting um and yet so challenging because to get there means to sort mm. of to trust that 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 can take us to somewhere better mm. than where we are now because it's a sort of we've talked about this a mm. lot actually with other folks with this, this, this sort of letting go of this old mm. story but then there's also this kind of like embracing this p- possibility of mm. something more beautiful that yeah. is going to be based on these kind of different values mm. and principles and 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 so it's helping people sort of like step into that you know mm. um so i was gonna i was gonna, uh, we could probably we could talk all day but we probably sh- <laughs> we should probably like um <laughs> we should probably bring it to a close um we'll do another one but um just i mean you've spoken a lot to this anyway but i'm just quite curious about this 
increasingly thinking, and we've spoken, we actually have spoken a lot about this imagination, mm. like this imaginal part to the work. But I'd love to just bring it back to Bath. And I think, mm. I mean, you've already hinted quite a lot of this, but like, imagine it's 10 years on, like this city, this place. Mm. What do you, what do you see? What do you, what, what do you hope? What do you imagine could, could happen here in, in the next decade? Mm. Yeah, good question. Yeah, I think the, the kind of visioning aspect is like so important and often like, I think neglected or seen as like too idealistic and things like that but i think we found through like grounding it in the land practices and like our visioning processes for the farm like we actually had like you know visioning ceremonies for this which is you know quite unusual for, <laughs> for farm design but i think it's like so important to like connect into that and like to do it collectively as well um so i think but yeah i think i sort of from a personal perspective i kind of focus more on like the food and land transformation so my vision you know for this bioregion um is to kind of like develop this kind of permaculture design through a collective process um to like transform you know not only like the hearts and minds of people but also like the land and the physical very grounded like food production and things like that so it would be like looking at this kind of like permaculture design for the city where you know our zone one is like transformed to like green transport and community restaurants being provided all by local food zooming in by bikes and things like that and so i kind of yeah kind of envision that like in terms of like the sort of personal vision for also like for my work and for the for the you know company middle ground growers it's it's not really to like scale up and to just like become a big farm producing all this food and like productivity and stuff it's like to to kind of reach a really appropriate scale where we can then like multiply and pollinate so we can like we really want to like focus on the kind of training aspects and like training lots more uh, land-based growers and stewards but also different land-based career paths and like permaculture designers and ecological landscapers or whatever it is you know through some sort of land hub um kind of training all those people as like you know kind of a, a generation a diverse generation of like kind of an ecosystem and tapestry of change makers and solutionists um so kind of having that as part of the core of you know what it is like education in bath you know that could be a career pathway for <laughs> for a viable thing for people just to do like oh what are you doing oh i'm going to uni oh i'm going to the, the land hub <laughs> yeah. and yeah that's also like educational links into it and we'll come it'll come back around to that in later years of the vision but that's the kind of the vision for us is to kind of like reach that appropriate scale then like pollinate and multiply and kind of like see that multiplier effect of like whether it's market gardens or bigger scale regenerative agroecologies or community gardens all kind of rippling outwards and then each of those is kind of then rippling outwards just as we've rippled out from other projects and transition bath and other things so that's that's kind of the vision is to kind of like this whole tapestry of, of change which we which we plug our unique role into which will be the food and those kind of regenerative food boxes with a community supported agriculture but that'll be our kind of like input into the kind of the whole yeah wherever it becomes you know <laughs> I, I love it and I, I love i love this you know the, the you know just these these ideas of just pollination and sort of human scale and like you you see you see it through helping you know helping kind of um uh you know you're sort of helping kind of create these kind of like you know just networks of of humans that want to go out and grow mm. and cultivate community as well as nourishing the food mm. and the land and it's just a very different way of thinking about growth right mm. which is yeah, uh, totally, yeah. the thing yeah. which is we, and, and i think that's there's so much that we can learn from that mm. way of visioning um mm. to move us away from a you know to a new story of growth mm. right which yeah, is not yeah. about 
scaling in a kind of very controlled, centralized way mm. and extractive sort of mm. profiting and stuff. It's such a beautiful way of thinking about um, of scale in, in a very in a very human way. So, mm. um, where do I sign up? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so a couple of things. What's the best way for folks to get involved or follow on or just yeah what, what, what i mean and, and are you and are you looking for people to get involved in different things i guess another question i guess yeah sure yeah um you know i don't have like an individual online presence but our company is middle ground growers so we're on there as like website middlegroundgrowers.com i'll link to all of that and all the social media and stuff um yeah we've got a few things like live at the moment we're like hiring more team members got apprenticeship things open only for the next three days or something okay. so like go and check out that like go on <laughs> by the time that by the time yeah, this comes yeah, out, out that'll yeah. be long gone <laughs> yeah don't worry about that yeah next year <laughs> but yes there's a few things that are like live at the moment the growing, we've got but the gr- training up the growing thing is a big yeah. that's a big ambition right to keep yeah definitely yeah, to kind of like keep keep building on that so yeah. then there's also like there's other opportunities to engage with the farm like we've got like volunteering opportunities we've got like yeah we just like like to hear from people really like from all that crowdfunding like having over 500 supporters like you know helping us basically create this vision is like one of them actually maybe the main benefit of it was like this whole network of all these people that were like offering like skills and different things and like they wanted to like you know be engaged and that's like what it's about it's like reconnecting people to the land so like they were open to like all sorts of those communications we might always not go back in the next day but <laughs> you know. you're busy you got a few things going on <laughs> yeah and uh yeah we've got vegbox spaces i have to mention that as well <laughs> oh, still, yeah so you still still, still got people yeah 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 so because we're on the bigger site right. of land so we're growing like more and more than ever this year really and like yeah all delivered by bike everything like that <laughs> and i've um and you've got there's a few restaurants as well you're working with aren't there yes like I ate, yeah yeah ate a couple of weeks ago at the um at oak oh nice yeah yeah so I yeah, I yeah. Eating, i think i was eating your leeks yes so, yeah yeah so yeah was, <laughs> there were, there were fine yeah. leeks yeah there's some really cool things going on with that like local chefs and restaurants like designing their menus around like the seasons and around the growth they like ask us they're like you know what are you growing in March? We'll design a menu around that, and they come to the farm. They see it. They see the sample of the produce. It's like a really nice new way of connecting people to food. I think yeah, restaurants and community restaurants can have quite a big yeah power in that. So yeah, yeah. Look, out, look out for like yeah, oak and land race and scoop and harvest and a few, yeah, a few others around Bath that we're sort of working with. Yeah, amazing. So um, so we finish up. It's the obviously you know the Spaceship Earth podcast. Um, this analogy of this kind of life-giving rock that we're on, a bit like a spaceship, and um, and this kind of shift that I sort of like am exploring, I guess, is of this sort of moving from passenger mode mm. into becoming crew. What does that? Anything that that sort of brings up for you in these times? And um, yeah, anything you want to? What does that? What does that say to you right now? Yeah, I think I think for me, it's um, there's a quote that comes to mind of like. Um, yeah the world doesn't need the world needs people that come alive through doing what they love basically and um, so I think for me it's like becoming crew is like actually it's seeking out those things that compass and that homing beacon is just like seeking what you love and your passions and actually really connecting into that you know for me it was the started with just love and connection to nature and then it became like love of like these land things and different passions and crafts and boating lifestyle and cycling and all these things merged together so i think it's like seeking out those like what you love just really <clears throat> taking time and space which is difficult in this turbulent time to like yeah really seek and follow what you love and sort of using 
yeah, just using our gifts and realizing our gifts. And we've all got all these diversity of gifts to offer to like channel, channel our life work through what we love to fulfilling, you know, our intertwined responsibilities to ourselves, to other people and to the earth, not as like trade-offs, but all kind of as one. That's what it means to be, to like be an active steward of this spaceship. <laughs> mm, beautiful. Thanks for that, Hamish. Amazing. Could you, I could, one other thing I was just thinking, I'm trying to think, like, what would you like if people have you know sparking off what you're doing like what 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 would you recommend if people are interested in growing and food mm. whatever but haven't really i mean what what would you suggest like what's it was a was a was a crew mission you could yeah. send listeners on yeah sure yeah i like that yeah well i think first of all to say like that i'm i came into it like don't think don't think there's if you have imagined barriers smash them because because <laughs> i came into it with no farming experience no money low income background no farming knowledge no land nothing like that so i think things yeah set good intentions and put energy out into them you know and sort of work with those, try and work with those barriers although there are physical constraints obviously but like um yeah so like a, if you're like interested in like getting involved in the land stuff i think um yeah just like going to like your local farm really and like seeing what's going on around you and like connecting to your bioregion and land even if it seems like a far off vision to like get land or start a farm i think there's so many new and exciting opportunities that are coming up and actually in each you know we're working a lot with like different things around the uk at the moment as well and there's lots of these similar projects popping up at the same time it's not like our idea or we're developing this model it's like there's a simultaneous you know collective imaginary that's becoming and it's so i think like going to finding those places near you becoming inspired by them and there is like the things like the woofing and work away and like working on different farms around there and like but you can connect to it also through like the foods you eat like every day so <laughs> like you know actually eating those gentle foods will connect you to that energy and actually you'll want to and you'll be driven to connect more and more to that until you're growing it so actually for all of us as part of our team at middle ground growers a lot of us like we all started it through like just looking I'm like, oh, where does my food come from? Right. <laughs> so if you start with that, you'll go down a deep rabbit right, hole. Yeah. Follow, follow the train. <laughs> follow basically. the rabbit hole, yeah. Exactly. Well, it comes, it's, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It just makes me think of final things like this whole, um, I try and do this with my children, but they sort of like stare strangely at me. But that even just, you know, going back to the sort of Buddhist, you know, interbeing piece of like, you know, the food in your mouth, when you're, mm. when you're, when you're putting food in your mouth, just thinking about like, who has been involved in that food and not just sort of humans but you know all the elements and the mm. soil and the climate and the plants and all mm. the and everything that's been involved in producing that piece of food that's on your plate that mm. that's a practice i've been sort of trying to sort of remain over you know quite a few years but it for me it really does it sparks mm. that curiosity of imagining where where this stuff actually comes from mm. and what was involved to put it on a plate because mm. it's extraordinary when you think about it isn't it mm. you know and you go down to like the rain and the clouds and the weather <laughs> and the sun and, yeah. you know, and like and the people that grow it all the people that have been involved yeah. in the process yeah, of like cultivating that land and mm. turning it into something and shipping it to you and mm. it's it is it, there is this whole web mm. um so yeah so i think that's 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 really good advice follow yeah jump down the rabbit hole or, or, <laughs> around, or around what's on your plate um <laughs> Awesome, Hamish. Thank you so much um, cool, thank for you. This, this chat. It's been <laughs> awesome and um, love what's going on. And um, yeah, let's um, let's see where let's let's see where where this city goes. I'm really yeah. excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks, Dan. Thanks <laughs> nice for having me on. One. No pleasure, man.
If you've appreciated listening to this podcast, would you consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a rating or review via your podcast provider? It helps more people to find us and we'd be most grateful. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the marvellous Hamish. Um, If you did, share it, rate it, review it. You know the score. It's all feedback that we love to to love to hear from you. Um, and as Hamish says, get connected to local growers around you. Support them however you can through produce, volunteering, funding, whatever it takes. Let's co-create the new food systems together. I'm going to play out with a track. It's another one from the Earth Percent Project coming out of the music industry, which I talked about in the last episode. Check them out, earthpercent.org. This one is a track from the legend Michael Stipe. It's called Future If Future. Until next time, look after yourself, those around you and our more than human family. Big love. Peace and out. This podcast is created in service to life for you. It takes time, funds and energy to make. If you'd like to contribute to the running costs, you can donate the price of a cuppa or a pint. Find the link on our website. This podcast wouldn't exist without the following crew. Charlie Shred, Audio Jedi. Vicky Turner, Show Notes. Seaman Home Burgess, Engine Room. Willow Burgess, Jingles. Future, future. This future is ours. Gunning the generation of cold-hearted cowards. We are the others with stem seeds and flowery flowers. We've got the power
We're doing all 